How's that? Ah, fantastic. <laughs> Good morning. Uh, today's scripture reading is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 through 24. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be... I didn't press the button. There you go. All right. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. Good morning. It sure smells good in here. Mm. All right. Um, I need a volunteer today, so I would like to volunteer Miss Lily to come up and be my able assistant today, because <laughs> I know she's able to do these things. So I have some challenges for her today, okay? Uh, and I, I, I know she's, she's a college student now. She's up to this, right? Yeah? You can do this, right? All right. So the first challenge I have for you is I would like you to tie that around your wrist. Good job. Good job. Okay. Can you tie a little bow on it? <laughs> She's doing a good job here. Oh, look at that. Give her a hand. Woo! Awesome. Okay. Now, I need you to put that arm behind your back and open this bottle of water. <laughs> it open? Yeah. Can you take a drink of it? <laughs> All right. Excellent job. Awesome. Now, with that one still behind your back, I would like you to clap for yourself because you've done such an amazing job. <laughs> Not quite what I had in mind. Let's clap. Clap. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes we can do things that are hard. Sometimes we need some help. Could you have used some help tying that around your wrist? Yeah. I mean, you did really well, and you even got the bow really well. You can put your hand down again. 
You can take that off if you want to. Uh, <laughs> you were pretty clever in how you opened the bottle of water, using her head. That's what college students do. They use their head. Um, and she even managed to get to drink it. But it's really hard to clap with one hand, right? I know there's that thing about you know, the sound of one hand clapping. But when you put two hands together, it works much better, doesn't it? Yeah. And thank you very much. You, you can take the water with you if you'd like. <laughs> um, so what I wanted to illustrate with that is what Paul's talking about in here about prayer. We all need prayer. We can pray for ourselves. And that's good. We should pray for ourselves. I know somebody once said, you know, I feel really weird praying for myself. But no. Jesus prayed for himself. We should pray for ourselves too. But you know what? Paul talks in here about praying for each other and asking for prayers for himself. And I think that that's such an important thing. We need to pray for each other. We need to pray for our family. We need to pray for our friends. We need to pray for our church congregation. We need to pray for our town. And we even need to pray for the people we don't like. And that's where it's hard. It's really hard to pray for some of those people. And sometimes, like one of the songs we sang said, I don't even have the words, Lord. Um, I was sideswiped the other day, and the man that hit me was really mouthing off a lot. And I was like, okay, Lord, just help me stay calm. <laughs> you know, help me have the words to say to him that is not going to cause me to be in harm's way. Um, it all worked out so far, as it's gone so far. But... Um, but it's really hard sometimes to pray for people that we're not happy with or comfortable with or that we don't like. Um, and the scripture also tells us that the Spirit will help us pray for those things. But we are very blessed to be in a praying congregation. And I believe that prayer is one of the big strengths that we have here. And we can help each other physically with our hands, but even more so with our prayers. And so I'm super excited that we have such a wonderful prayer ministry going on here. And I would challenge you to continue to pray daily, not only for yourself and for everybody that you love, but for those people that you don't like. Because if we pray for those people that we don't like, we may end up liking them. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you hear us when we pray, even when we don't have the words, even when we don't like the people we're praying for or the situations that we're praying for. You're active in all of that, all of the time. We don't have to do it alone. You're there to help us. You've given us helpers all around us. Help us not to be afraid to ask for help, but help us also to trust you and know that you, through the Spirit, will lead us as we need to go. So we give you thanks today for prayer. We give you thanks for friends and family, for community, and the Holy Spirit. And we thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Sue plays the organ. Let's pray.
would you indeed take us past the outer courts? Would you cover us in the blood of your Son? And would you, Lord, take a coal from the fire and cleanse my lips and cleanse all of our hearts and cleanse all of our minds that we might be in your presence and not be destroyed but instead be made new by the blood of Jesus and by just being near you, our giver of life, our rescuer and our redeemer. Lord, would you help our minds and help our hearts as we explore these thoughts today? And Lord, would you strike anything from what I've written um, or what we're going to say and think about here that isn't in line with what you want to talk about? Lord, we want your kingdom to come. We want your will to be done here, just as it is in heaven. So Lord, we give you this time, and we ask you to bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. So... We're going to close out our series today. Um, for those of you who've been hanging out for the last few weeks, you know that we're in this series on Paul's letter to the Ephesians uh, called The Family That You're a Part Of. Um, and next week, when Pastor Jen gets back, we will transition into Advent and getting ready for Christmas and all of that. So um, that's really exciting. I saw my first Christmas lights last night, and so I'm very much in the mood to, to be all festive. Um, my mom sometimes listens to Christmas music in July, so for any of you Christmas music haters out there, you're welcome. We finally are in Christmas time, so that's okay. Okay, so one thing that I realized this week as I was preparing for this sermon is that sermon writing is really hard, you guys. <laughs> Does anybody else, can anyone else relate? Just have a really fresh uh, appreciation for Pastor Jen this week. I was like, oh man, I wish Barb could do this. I wish Pastor Jen could do this basically wish that anybody else could do this but me. Um, but you get me, and that's okay, because we're going to do this together. So one of the things that I realized as I was kind of getting my thoughts together for this was that I actually, when I'm exploring spiritual concepts, I much prefer conversation, like dialogue, one-on-one, -on -one, or even in like a small group of friends, rather than monologue, like just standing up in front of everybody, spewing a whole bunch of thoughts. That's actually not how my brain works. My brain works much better if we can sit down and actually have a conversation. Um, that's actually when my thinking goes deeper and is more interesting, and I can actually have a better idea of where somebody's coming from. Um, because the reality is, all of us are coming from different places when we come at an idea or we come at a topic. And it's more fun when you're chatting with somebody one-on-one, -on -one, but it's also more helpful because you both can get at the idea, and it's not just one brain. But you can also be more sensitive to where somebody's coming from. So what I'd like to do um, is, even in this sermon today, I'd love to present some ideas, but I would generally, genuinely love for this to be the start of a conversation rather than just a mic drop and we walk away and nobody ever talks about it again. Cool? So um, I just, yeah, I'd love for you to know that uh, that's welcome and that's something that, I find more beneficial than just, hey, this is what I said and that's what goes. No, this is a, this is a dialogue. So, is that cool with you guys? Awesome, good. All right, so as we close up here, um, close up this book of Ephesians, I just want to throw out a few thoughts to you guys, a few ideas that have kind of been bouncing around in my head, um, both in my own life and as we kind of knock out this last little bit of Ephesians. These are 
kind of, I'm almost seeing some stuff in my life and some stuff in the book kind of coalesce. And so that's the place where all of this is coming from. So let me tell you a little bit about my weird week. Has anybody ever, has anybody had a weird week this week? Yeah? Okay, we got several hands. I'm not alone. This is awesome. Um, so my week was weird because uh, something happened uh, that doesn't usually happen to me. So usually uh, when I'm at work, I, some of you know that I work at Worcester State uh, with a campus ministry called Campus Ambassadors. I don't technically work for the college, but I work on the college sort of as a volunteer, this kind of a thing. So I'm in this weird space where I'm like not officially like working at the college, but I work, you know, sort of, or I don't work for the college, I work at the college and, you know, different dynamics. But basically I'm recognized as a campus volunteer. In the past there's been other ministers that have worked with me, um, but right now I'm, I'm kind of the only one. So I'm a little, I have been a little nomadic these last few years over COVID, um, but this week they opened a new campus ministry lounge area and it was like, great, like you get to like actually have a place to be um, and all this stuff. But as with lots of things, there, there was a lot of uh, procrastination involved in when everything was going to be available and when everything was going to be ready. And then this last Tuesday was an open house with an alumna donor and the president of the college and all these things and da da da. Anyway, there was a lot of scrambling to get it ready. Uh, we wanted it to be homey. We wanted it to kind of feel nice for people to be in there. Um, and all of that was happening over the weekend. My coworker, uh, who also works for CA, was spent the entire weekend running around getting pillows, getting blankets, getting like little candy dishes and little like scripture boxes and like all these things. She actually painted um, these big signs to go on the wall even, and they didn't get hung up until like 9 a.m. the day before. So, you know, that's the picture that we're walking into, okay? So I also want to ask you guys, how many of you have ever been in an environment where there were a lot of different personalities and a lot of different power dynamics? Yeah? Was that fun or not fun for you? Anybody enjoy that? Ron. I knew it! I knew it! Ron and Lily. That's great. Maybe Lorna on a, on a, on a good day. <laughs> well, I'm not somebody that super enjoys it, although this, this, was something, uh, this was something a little bit like that. So Basically, me and my coworker had worked all weekend to get this space together. My coworker gave up her weekend. I don't actually work for the college, but I'm working hard to make sure the college looks good for this donor. And we're all ready. We're going in, and then all these people come to this open house, which is great, except for this is a little bit of what happens. This really wonderful donor comes in. She's, I don't know, she's a little bit older. She's retired, and... She, she walks in, she, she's like, oh, I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you. So are you Catholic? Um, no, ma'am. Is there mass on campus? Um, no, ma'am. <laughs> the diversity and inclusion, uh, one of the diversity and inclusion officers comes in. Wow, I, this is such a really wonderful space. I really love it. It's so homey. 30 seconds later. Um, so here's what you did wrong. <laughs> you, th you think about this. You think about this. You think about this. Um, later on in, in the day, or no, actually, right next next thing comes a Catholic priest that I've never met before, comes on, comes into the to, comes into the event and chats up all of the higher up administrators um, about wanting to do ministry on campus, but doesn't really want to talk to me at all, who's been doing ministry on campus there for two or five years or so. <laughs> then finally, the president of the college, who I've never met before in my life, 
comes in, stays for like all of two seconds, shakes my hand, shakes the priest's hand, thanks us for all that we do, even though the priest has never been on campus before. <laughs> I'm just like, what's going on? Like, what is even happening? And I say all of this not to bash anybody, but I want to paint a picture for you of what was happening kind of in my heart. Because in that moment, I'm, I'm kind of just like this, this sort of scrambling and the worry about like, what's this going to look like and is it going to present a good picture for everybody and is everybody going to be happy? But then all of these situations where it's like, do, do I mean anything? Like, did, was there, nobody seemed to want what I had to offer. They were always just pointing the finger at what I couldn't offer or what I wasn't offering. Can anybody relate? Right? That's, a, that's not a fun feeling. And I think in my heart, this could be sin, it could be something else, um, but in my heart I start to feel competition rather than collaboration. Like I start to feel this, well, well where's my payoff? Like I, I, I want to kind of do this thing where I like puff up my chest and, do, and prove that I'm doing good work, prove that I deserve to be there, right? Like it makes me start to believe that this fla that flashiness and activity and kind of playing the game that the world plays to show that you're significant, to show that you're important, to show that you have power and influence. Like I start to want to I start to want to play those games when I'm in environments like that. Anybody else? No, you guys are all holier than me. Cool. All right. Thank you for your honesty. <laughs> and I'm teasing, but I'm also I'm also trying to present a situation that. Our day-to-day -day looks different from the person next to us, but I'm sure that we've all been in situations where we feel like we're, we, we feel like we're in a game that is either stacked against us or we know that we're maybe losing the game, and so we want to we wanna do something to, to position ourselves or present ourselves as better than what we feel like we are in that moment. Um, and I guess I want to maybe even posit how many of us have ever thought about our spiritual life like that? I just want to grow. I just want to experience what so-and-so experiences. They're so close with God, or they know so much about God. I just want to experience, I wish my experience of God was just like so-and-so's experience of God. Or maybe even, I wish my church was like so-and-so's church. Or I wish my spiritual heritage was like so-and-so's heritage. Or I, 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 wish, wish, wish. Maybe it's something else for you entirely, I'm not sure. And maybe this is just a generational thing. Um, the youth group and I and Katie and Brian, <laughs> we live in a world of social media constantly. And it's one of those places where you, you see all the time all the stuff that you quote unquote don't have. And some of this is maybe coming from a good place. Uh, I want to be around the things that God is doing. I want to see and experience God. I would say those are good motivations to want these things. But maybe some of that comes from a bad place. Like, it needs to be about me. It needs to be about my ministry. It needs to be about my church. It needs to be about my influence. It needs to be about my denomination or family or tradition or whatever. You guys remember last week when Pastor Jen was talking about the armor of God, the passage right before this one? Anybody remember that? Okay. Genuine question. Love participation. What are some of the pieces of armor that we talked about? Does anybody remember? Sword of the Spirit. Belt of Truth. Yep. 
Helmet of Salvation. What's that? Sandals for, yeah, being equipped, ready to share the gospel. Shield of faith. Breastplate of righteousness. Very good. Okay. Awesome. Do you know what the secret is to making all of that work? Ray's not here, but we're going to play a little history game. Ah, put it on, right. That was awesome. Put it on. Okay, yes. So, yes, I'm, I'm not nearly as smart as Ray, but I am a little bit of a, a history nerd. The reason that that armor goes together, the reason it's so successful, is because everything links together. We didn't talk about this too much last week, but the, the belt of truth, your breastplate of righteousness actually hooks into that. Your your shield actually would hook into your belt as well, so that you like without the belt of truth, you can't actually hold everything together because it's so heavy. This this is you know metal, and this is that's the only way that somebody's actually going to be able to walk around. But the interesting thing about why the Roman army was so successful, why they were so um, victorious in so many different conquests, is because they knew how their because of how their armor was designed. Okay, this is fascinating. The reason that the Roman armor was successful when you fight is because you don't fight alone. This shield that we're talking about was designed to be used in a tight formation. So each soldier would have been tight with the warrior next to him on his right and on his left, so much so that these shields would have been overlapping and interlocking. The Spartans and the Greeks before them did this as well. And this is how you could actually win a battle with fewer people on your side versus the other side. So, like, it's almost disproportional in its effectiveness, okay? Which is kind of crazy. Um, so if you ever watch movies like The Gladiator or anything like that, you, you start to see this at play. where They've got these big shields, which maybe don't look that effective for just one person, and that's the point, is that it's not effective for just one person. It's only effective when you are in a line of several people next to each other because you can't protect your whole body with just your shield. You need people around you to protect on your right and on your left. And like I say, as a unit, um, this, this had far more power than just one person because a line could push back more weight of an advance than any one person could push on their own. Um, this offered both, both the best defense and the best offense kind of like we talked about last week. Um, and like I say, this is a, if you want to want to use the really nerdy term, you would call this a Spartan phalanx. This is this rounded line formation where everybody is not functioning as a bunch of individuals, but is functioning as one unit cohesively. And this is the picture that the Ephesians would have had in their minds when they're hearing Paul describe this spiritual armor that we talked about last week. They're not picturing just one person with a whole bunch of stuff on. They're picturing a line, a unit, a cohesive um, group that's functioning not just as a bunch of people, but as one unit. Okay, this kind of reminds me of a movie. How many of you guys have seen the movie Miracle? It's a hockey movie. It's a little dated now. Carl has. Pam thinks she has. She's not sure. It's been a while. Um, it's, it's a little dated, but it's based on a true story. Really good movie. I haven't seen it in a while either. 
Um, but it's based on a true story. It is about the 1980 U.S. hockey team to the Olympics. And, uh, of course, back then in the late 70s, the Soviets at the time, Russia, you know, the Soviets, were just destroying the whole, you know, anybody who's anybody that played hockey. And so when they got the U.S. team together, they were like, all right, there's no way. Even, if, even with the best players in the world, in the, all the colleges and everything, there's no way that you can beat the Russians. But this one coach, that was his mission, was to beat the Russians. And there's this famous line, um, because this coach gets together all the star players from Harvard and Stanford and like all these big schools, he gets them together for practice and he, they roll up and they're, you know, they're, they're the big fish in their small pond. And they say, I'm, I'm Joey so-and-so, I play for Harvard. I'm Greg so-and-so, I play for Stanford. Whenever he, whenever he asks them, who do you play for? He says, I play for, you know, USC. I play for um, Pittsburgh. I play for my University of Miami. And so his whole mission, the whole point, the way that this, that this team needs to transform is they need to move from thinking about themselves as individual players to thinking of themselves as being on this team, being one one player on a team. And throughout the course of the movie, you see this coach break them down from thinking that they're the, the star player from Stanford to actually being just a member on the, U the Team USA. There's this famous line that says, the name on the front of your jersey is more important than the name on the back. And I think that's a little bit of what Paul is getting at here. Because if we were to look at... Um, some of the verses that Mark read for us, specifically verses 21 through 23, Paul signs off his letter. Now this is super interesting if you want to be a Bible nerd um, because usually when Paul closes out a letter, he leaves a few specific instructions or encouragements to specific people. It'd be like if I was emailing Katie, I'd be like, hey, so sorry that I burned the snot out of that pie. I hope it wasn't horrible. <laughs> and Katie would be like, no worries. I didn't eat any because it looked bad. No. Um, so in a lot of Paul's letters, he signs off specific instructions to specific people. The letter right after this is the letter to the Ephesians, and he tells two women that he wishes that they would work out their differences. He names them by name. So we know that, like, oh, Paul knows these people. Interesting thing here in Ephesians is that the ending lacks any of the personal references that are usually found in his letters. Now that's weird. But this sign-off, this really general sign-off, makes sense if Ephesians is a circular letter. That means that the words that we just read over the last few weeks were not just meant for one church in Ephesus. They were meant for all the churches in the surrounding area. The letter would have arrived at one church and then been read in one church and then passed on to the next church in the city or in the surrounding area. This would be like if we received a letter here at CBC and then we passed it to the Catholic Church up on the hill, and then they pass it to the Methodist Church, and then they pass it to the Lutheran Church and the Presbyterian Church, and then maybe they kicked it up to Charlton, and maybe they kicked it over to Southbridge, or Sturbridge, excuse me. Like, that's what a circular letter would have been like. And this is really pretty popular in the New Testament, because again, paper is super expensive, travel is super difficult and dangerous. Like, this is a different world. So for me, at least, this, this idea of, wow, what's going on here, um, has been challenging some, some ways that I've been thinking about reading the scriptures. Um, 
growing up, uh, and Cindy and I just talked about this before service started, growing up, I was raised in the United Methodist Church. Uh, it's a mainline denomination rather than an evangelical denomination. Um, so basically, there wasn't much emphasis on a personal relationship with God as there might be in some Baptist or evangelical circles. Um, and I think for me, God laid the groundwork for my faith there, um, but there wasn't a whole lot of emphasis on my need to personally respond to Jesus. Going to church is just kind of what we did. So later when I was in college, uh, when my faith came alive and I was surrounded by students who were living it for themselves, I really got this picture of, oh, this was personal faith. Like, this is something that I need to know God. I need to follow God. I need to, to really, like, do this for myself. It wasn't something that I could borrow from other people, whether that was my parents or my culture or just my heritage, my upbringing. Um, and this is something I still totally agree with. Agree with. Like, there's, there needs to be a personal response. I don't know that anybody would fight me on that here. Um, that this idea that uh, the, you as an individual and God is the most important thing. But the challenge came is that uh, the challenge came through this idea that I am a wicked overachiever. I take something and then I explode it to the umpteenth degree. Pam's laughing at me. She knows what this is. <laughs> She's seen it before. So when I was a young Christian and I was learning to read the Bible for myself, I was a really nervous person. I was nervous about um, getting everything right. I was nervous about wanting to do everything right by God. And I unknowingly took this concept in, of being personally accountable to God, and I, like, went to town, like, over, over the edge. So when I was younger, I would read the Bible, and I would sometimes get really wound up about the stuff that God was calling us to do as believers. Um, for example, I thought it was up to me with... Uh, in terms of evangelism, when I first moved to Worcester in 2013, um, I had never seen so many people in one place before because I grew up in the sticks in upstate New York. And when I first moved to Worcester, I thought God expected me to save the city. Like, this is what I'm talking about. Like, I'm an overachiever, okay? Um, and to be honest, it felt crushing. It felt like being on a battlefield, standing alone, facing down an army. It doesn't matter how hard you've trained or how good of a fighter you are. When you're alone with an army coming at you, and pick whatever metaphor you want, an army of work, an army of responsibility, or enemy forces of any kind, when that army is rushing at you and you know you're all alone, you're going to get destroyed. But what if that's not what we're meant to read with these words? What if God meant them to be life-giving, not crushing? And what if how we think of ourselves, how, what we imagine when we read these words, has a great deal to do with how we receive them? Tim Mackey, the creator of the Bible Project, which we've watched some of those videos here, makes the point that all of the yous that we just read in this letter are all plural. When Paul's writing to you, He's writing to y'all. Suddenly that title makes sense. You're like, wow, she's not crazy. <laughs> so if you were to go back to the very beginning of Ephesians, this is verse chapter 1, verses 15 through 18, this is what it's actually sounding like to the people that first heard it. For this reason, ever since I heard about y'all's faith in the Lord Jesus and y'all's love, love for God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for y'all. 
remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give y'all the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that y'all may know him better. I pray that the eyes of y'all's heart may be enlightened in order that y'all may know the hope to which he has called y'all, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. How does this change how we hear these instructions? For me, it's deeply freeing. Because it helps me realize that God may already be doing these things, just not through me specifically. I might not... I might not have all the revelation, all the pieces to the puzzle. I might have one piece, and that's okay. If this translation is correct, I need the other parts of y'all to know God better. I need the other parts of y'all to know the hope to which he's called us, and not just me. I need y'all to get the fullness of the spirit of wisdom and revelation that Paul's talking about here. I can't do it on my own. And I can't possess all the gifts. I can't have all the wisdom. I can't be self-sufficient, either in knowing God or in serving God. If I think it's about doing it on my own, I'm completely missing what Paul's talking about here. So my question to you is, do we think about all of these instructions as y'all do this, or as you better do all of this? I don't know. This means that what we're reading here isn't just for us. Um, thinking of ourselves as a body of believers that are also tied to a wider body. So I'm first and foremost thinking about myself as an individual, and I want to posit that the y'all is y'all here. But I also want to posit that the y'all isn't just us here at CBC. The y'all is y'all Christians in Southbridge, y'all Christians in Lower Worcester County, y'all Christians in Massachusetts, y'all Christians in the Northeast, y'all Christians in the U.S. I think Paul's getting a little bit at something like that, which, to be honest, is super challenging for us as Americans. Because as Americans, we are all about individualism. And maybe not so much you guys, but my generation and younger, oh my gosh, <laughs> Katie's like, preach. <laughs> and so generationally, that might not even be something that you guys feel as much as I feel on a college campus. People, it feels like people are, well, my relationship with God, or my this, or my that. And there doesn't seem to be this cross-pollination of looking at the person next to you and caring about their relationship, or caring about our relationship with God. And so I, what I'd love to kind of think about is to really squat deep into this idea of thinking about ourselves not as a you, but as a y'all. And I really want to kind of challenge, challenge us creatively to primarily see our life through the lens of belonging to Jesus' family, being an essential part of the whole. Like, all of our relationships with God is super, super important, but I don't, those, I don't think your individual relationship with God and being part of a bigger family are mutually exclusive. And for most of you, you're probably like, duh, Kathleen. 
but this was a big deal for me, so I was, let me go, here we go. <laughs> I don't know, I just think it's, it's actually a breath of fresh air, um, even though at first it might feel a little bit like a death to self. Um, so here's some ideas about why the gospel of y'all, the good news of y'all as a spiritual family and not just me individually, um, feels like really good news. Uh, for example, okay, so a couple weeks ago, uh, we celebrated baptisms here, Maddie and Betty, and um, some of you may have seen a certain video um, bouncing around Facebook and or Instagram of what was happening in the back. Yeah? I don't know what happened. Pastor Jen should not be allowed to film things back there. But, um, <laughs> but what I want to maybe suggest is that, here we go, just telling you like it is. When I am hyper-focused on all of the ways that I am failing, all the ways that I don't see God showing up in my life, all of the ways that I wish things were different, it's super easy to get discouraged. But I'm honest to goodness telling you the truth. When we were back there dancing to you guys singing out here, my joy in Maddie getting baptized and Betty getting baptized made me circumvent all of the stuff that I was still wishing was different in my life. Like, honestly, genuinely, and truly. Seeing God work in Maddie's life, seeing God work in Betty's life, even though they both didn't want to stand up in front of us and tell their story and didn't really want to, you know, go be wet back over here. Like, that is like, I'm like, I want to be around that. Like, I want to be around God working in people's life like that. It had nothing to do with me. And I want, like, that's the good stuff. Being able to be together over the long haul, being able to participate in the joys and the sorrows as a family. I feel like you guys do this really well here at CBC. We do it naturally. Um, and I guess I'm offering this somewhat as an invitation to those of us in younger generations to say that it's worth it to be part of a family that has carried you through from day one, that you've seen the ups, you've seen the downs, you, you've been... Um, you've been here for the long haul. And I want us to, like I say, think about this locally as a church, but also as a wider body of Christ. Um, and I want us to consider even what are some ways that God might be inviting us to, to think about what are the other parts of y'all that he wants us to step into. Maybe for some, for some it might be uh, other areas of the body of Christ with a diversity of experience, whether it's culturally or ethnically, but it also could be a denominational difference. Like if our core is the same, if Christ is the same, do we realize that we need each other in other denominations, other streams of the faith, to actually participate and see the fullness of God? Um, like I said, I grew up in the Methodist church, which uh, like historically, 200 years ago, used to emphasize a very personal experience of God, um, but they also historically have been known to uh, really emphasize a holiness tradition or how there is a method for getting to know God better. This is where Methodism originally came from. And when I was first a Christian, I was around a lot of people that um, were in really, really Reformed or Baptist circles. And I also have more friends now that are in very charismatic circles. And for a long time, I thought that, oh, it's about finding the right team, and I just need to go be with the people that are on the quote-unquote right team. But now I'm starting to realize, no, no, no. God is doing something in each of those streams of faith and more 
And it's not about saying, okay, you, the, you guys are the good guys and you guys are the bad guys and I want to go be with the good guys. No, it's about how can I actually be open to what God is doing in each of those streams of faith and recognize that, okay, I, I'm just one person in this, in this uh, Roman military line. I need, to, I need to make sure that I have somebody on my right and on my left and not just have it be me and my own little tradition, whatever I'm comfortable with. So I know I'm going a little long here, but I want to just kind of offer to us this picture of how God might be doing something different than what we first expect. And it might involve us seeking after folks that are different from us in background, different from us even in faith tradition, um, but realizing that we are actually better as, as a whole than just even as individuals, if that makes sense. Um, closing up, there's a... Uh, I wanted to be a nerd again and look a little bit at um, this guy that Mark read for us, this guy named Tychicus. We're not 100% sure if that's how you pronounce his name, but that's how I'm going to pronounce it. Um, and the fun thing that I wanted to suggest is that Tychicus is a guy who's actually living out what I've just been talking about. He's somebody who's been able to switch out the individualism and the need to be the important one for actually serving the whole. If we were to do a super, super detailed study of Scripture, we would notice that Tychicus shows up five times in the New Testament. Um, his, mostly he's running around with the Apostle Paul, um, but the reason that he shows up five times is because he is actually carrying letters back and forth when Paul is in prison to a couple of different places. He's carrying some of the Timothy letters, he carries the Titus letter, he carries this letter to Ephesians. Now, that's interesting because of what that means. What that means is that Titus, who's on the island of Crete, and Timothy, who's in Ephesus, Paul's locked up in prison. Paul sends Tychicus to these two other places, at least, twi- at least once each, but maybe more with the Timothy letters. And what Paul does is he says, hey, I need those guys. I need Titus and I need Timothy freed up. They're the, they're the founding pastors in each of those places. I need them freed up. Teachers, why don't you go and, you go and sh- steward that congregation? You go shepherd that congregation. Tychicus is essentially an interim pastor. It's true. Yeah. It's basically like, hey, I need those guys freed up. Can you go and pinch hit there for like a couple years? And Tychicus is like, all right, cool, got it. And, but here's the interesting thing. He's not, this is, in, you know, we've got a celebrity culture right now around so many things. We definitely have it around our, Christ, our Christianity as well. There's a Christian subculture of the right pastors or the right authors or the big conferences or things like this. I feel like what Paul's doing here is there's a freedom in being able to switch out and just be like, okay, I need you over here in this, this part of the, the Roman line. I need you over here in this, <coughs> in this part of the Roman line. It's the freedom to not have to be the big deal. And that's true for Tychicus, but that's also true for Timothy. That's true for Titus. None of them are like holding on to their role so much that they don't let Paul pick them up and move them somewhere else. And even th- this sort of like team effort is this spiritual phalanx at work. Because Paul is in prison, you guys. 
when he writes this letter. And he needs help serving these other churches, but he can't do it. So it avoids the bottleneck of making it all about one person. And I think there's a lot of beauty here that we can take into our own lives. Because this isn't a one-man show. This isn't the celebrity pastor with a church that's dependent on that super, superstar personality to function. Um, to be, again, our military metaphor, and apparently I'm quoting movies today, but this isn't a spiritual Captain America with like a super soldier. No, this is a team. This is a bunch of soldiers thinking and moving as a unit, with each one knowing that the man beside him was essential to the overall success. So they think about it, Timothy, Tychicus, Titus, Paul, they're thinking about this as a, our win, not my win. Like I say, this cuts deeply at our individualism. This cuts deeply at our desire to be self-important, to be the, the one that kind of rushes in and saves the day. But I actually think that this is a really good call for us. This is a really good call for me, that it's not about what I do. It's about seeing what y'all is doing, what God is doing with y'all. And so, I don't know. I don't know where you find yourself in all of this. I don't know what God's invitation to you specifically is. But when we start to see ourselves as the y'all of Christ, connected both to each other and to believers throughout history, through time and space, we too start to take our spot in the spiritual phalanx. We too start to see our growing up in Christ as primarily something that we do and not just I do. And when we start to do that, we also start to notice, we start to look around and say, okay, who else is missing here? Who else, where are the holes in our line? Who else do we need on our formation, in our formation on the battlefield? Where are the gaps in the line? Who do we need in our formation so that we can be more of who God called us to be? Who do I need in my particular line so that I can know more of who God actually is? And are each of us willing to see ourselves not first and foremost as individuals, but part of a bigger unit? Are we willing to celebrate the wins that aren't ours directly, but that happen on the other side of the phalanx? Are we willing to mourn the grief and the sorrow of someone who doesn't look or sound like us at all, but who confesses Christ right along with us? And as we do that, we get to recognize the incredible gift that being able to leave behind the name on the back of our jersey for the name on the front. Like in that movie, Miracle, when we're asked who we play for, we don't say Baptist or Methodist or Presbyterian. We say Christ. So if you are in Christ, that's the, the family that you are a part of. And if you're not yet in Christ, that's the family that you're invited into. And that's good news, y'all.